Welcome back, everybody. I'm Taylor Taylor, and this is my podcast, A Higher Way with Tay. Today, I am joined by my friend and spirit sister, Cece Takaki. Cece is an entrepreneur, a successful realtor and real estate investor, and a professional mediator in Hawaii, where she currently lives with her two sons. Her background in entrepreneurship began in the second grade when she would offer self-help advice or palm readings to her friends in exchange for snacks and preferred seating in the lunchroom. She has an educational background studying literature and rhetoric and an MBA, which she finished in Hawaii and which is also where she met and married her now ex-husband. In 2019, right before COVID, Cece felt like she had achieved the pinnacle of her dream life. A beautiful home on an esteemed private country club golf course, professional success as a realtor, and her children in prestigious private school. Despite all this success, Cece felt her life start to unravel as she felt within her a deep emptiness. She enrolled in the Hoffman process, which we will get into in this episode, and she went to Rhythmia in 2021, which is where she and I met. As Cece continued to peel back more and more layers of the onion of spirituality and self-development, she developed the courage to create her company M3, Mindful Mediation Matters. She helps people navigating divorce, separation, business partner disputes, and landlord-tenant conflicts. Her belief is that through conflict comes an opportunity for growth and a better way to live. She has a passion to simply help people and to do her part to help the healing of the world connecting to spirit-led energy and God's direction for the overall good. Cece, I'm so happy to have you, and I'm so excited for our conversation today. Thank you for coming on to share your story with me and my audience. Thank you for having me, Taylor. I'm so excited to be on this podcast with you, and I'm super grateful to you for inviting me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So I want to jump in like I always do and talk about your natal chart before we get started, if you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited because I haven't heard it. Cool. (laughs) So I'll tell you what, it's so funny because you, I kind of had some suspicions about what might come up in your chart and a lot did. Um, So you probably know you're a cancer sun, um, but you have a Virgo moon and you are a Gemini rising. So Gemini, you know, that's, that's air, cancer, water, Virgo, earth. So you have this beautiful balance of the elements in your, in your big three. Um, but as a Gemini rising, um, Gemini is ruled by Mercury. So that makes Mercury your chart ruler and Mercury is the planet that rules communication. Um, it's all about rationality and reasoning. So I just was like, of course I knew there had to be some Gemini in there somewhere, but it makes perfect sense as a Gemini rising and having Mercury as your chart ruler, um, given what you do for a living. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you also have Venus in Taurus in the 12th house, um, which I thought was a cool placement because the 12th house really is like the unconscious and kind of like the hidden. Um, so this placement makes you highly intuitive. Um, Venus is also what we call exalted in Taurus, meaning um, Venus is one of the planets that rules um, the sign Taurus. So it's very comfortable in that sign. Um, it's also like a very aesthetic and beautiful sign. So with Venus being the planet of beauty, you know, I can just see like you have such great taste and you always have like accessories in your clothing. So, I mean, that's a, a really great placement to have. And and having it in the 12th house, again, just like makes you a very intuitive, uh, intuitive person. 
Um, I thought it was cool because you have a Pisces midheaven. So a midheaven is really like our career sign. And Pisces is like, you know, social worker, spiritual healer. It's very on point, um, again, with all the stuff that you do for a living, which we'll talk about in today's episode. Um, but, you know, a couple things that we have in common in our charts is we both have Saturn in the first house. So this is a tricky placement. Um, it's not an easy placement. And I've talked a lot on the podcast before about Saturn because Saturn is the Lord of Karma. Saturn is um, kind of like the energy of the lessons that we're going to learn in our life. And depending where in the nail chart it's placed is going to indicate kind of like what your hard lessons or like deep, you know, life path lessons are going to be. And in the first house, the house of I am or self, um, that's a that's a tough placement to have a platter, uh, a planet like Saturn. So, you know, it indicates like a lot of karma and, and a lot of responsibility and kind of, you know, maybe early on in life having to take on a lot of responsibility or just, you know, feeling like you always have to be responsible for others. Um, you have Mars, the planet Mars in the second house, which I do as well. And this is actually, I think, a great placement because Mars is our drive. It's our um, passion. And the second house is our money house, right? So I've always felt like having Mars in the second house really makes me like a really hard worker. Um, and I'm very aggressive in, you know, chasing that cash. <laughs> uh, when I when I work hard, you know, I mean, that, that's a that comes from that Mars energy. And so having it in the second house is a great indicator for for being a hard worker and, and um, being able to really like work for yourself and, and be successful in that way. Cool. So in regards to your North and South node, you have your South node in Gemini again. So there's like a lot of Gemini energy in your chart. Um, it's a very intellectual sign. So having it in your South node really indicates that you kind of came into this life with like already developed communication skills, intellectual curiosity, um, you know, you, you kind of are like this in, in, inquisitive person right out the gate when you came into this life and you're moving towards the North Node and Sagittarius. So the difference there is like Sagittarius is really about finding meaning and, and trusting your own consciousness. So, you know, your spirit doesn't, it, it really deserves to live according to your own rules. That's the spirit of Sagittarius. And, and it needs to overcome any feelings of like insecurity and really just embrace your unique design. So that's kind of like the path from Gemini into Sagittarius. So how you express in the world without fear of others' perceptions of you. That's kind of, again, like the journey of, of Gemini into the, the North Node Sagittarius. Because um, Gemini, you know, it can get stuck in negative thought patterns. And Sagittarius is really just about, um, again, like your own rules, embracing your own um, unique design. So I love that Sagittarius energy. And, and in the North Node, I think it's a, it's a really beautiful placement too. Do you feel like any of that resonates? It's a hundred percent. Everything's on point. I have awesome. no, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to contest in any of that. Um, it explains a lot. I mean, you yeah. know, I never really, um, I mean, I have had my, you know, sign read or chart read, but, um, I just, uh, but the way that you did it and explained it, I think it has a lot of meaning. So, um, 
I'm I'm grateful. It, it makes sense too. So yeah. I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> I would encourage you to read more, you know, like study more about your North and South node because they are really fascinating. And in your case, you know, your North node. So, you know, your destiny, it's in the sixth house, which is the house of service. Um, and that works obviously with real estate and your mediation work too. So it's all very, it's in there, you know, all this stuff that you're doing. It's like, I see it laid out in your natal chart. So it's, it's pretty cool. Very, it's very cool. Thank you for doing that. It helps me to, um, you know, at, at the very least, the feeling is that I am aligned to what I was born into. So, um, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, always kind of just like going back to that Sagittarius, like the sign, the the traits of Sagittarius, like when you're embodying those, that's how you know you're in flow with kind of like the energy of your destiny. So I love that. And I also just love Sagittarius energy anyway. So I just think that's a great, it's a great sign to have for your North Node. Oh, great. Thank you. Yes, of course. So I want to talk about your spiritual awakening, which I know was triggered when your now ex-husband was turning 50, right? Right. Yeah. So it's funny because he, he was the one having a birthday, but I was the one going through this um, internal, like, you know, what they say, the midlife crisis or however you want to, you know, label it. Uh But when he turned 50 and I'm younger than he is, um, I was like, wow. So this is what it feels like at this age, you know, um, because my, I remember my, when my dad turned 40 and he was like, you know, CC, I'm 40 now. And I was like, whoa, that's ancient. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is when I was 10 and here is, you know, my husband at the time, uh, turning 50. And I was like, so I kind of had a feeling of what the pattern would be for the rest of my life, uh, given where, you know, my dad is and where he is now. And it, it's not that it was an, it was actually a great place, but the happiness that I thought would be within, um, you know, the amount of joy that I would be having from a day to day or week to week basis, it was empty. And, you know, you, you, you talked about it already that I just felt like, okay, here I am with, um, you know, the husband that I'm married to at the time being at this age, I kind of can see what the next 10, 15 years is going to be like, because I already know the pattern of other people that are older than me have been. And I just got to a point where I was like, I need to figure this out because I don't want to spend the rest of my uh, years on earth in in feeling this empty. And so that's when I started researching on, you know, how to get myself into this place of joy. And to be honest, like maybe most people, I looked externally externally. You know, I thought, oh, okay, if I got this particular listing or if I was a broker for this, I would be happy. At the time, I was just doing real estate. And or if it was, you know, a material possession, if I got this jacket, if I got this ring uh, or if my relationship with my husband was better. Right. So that's where everything kind of came to like a head. So everything was external. And I didn't know how to even look internally in order to get myself to that level. And at the time we were seeing like a family therapist. Um, and so that person recommended I speak to somebody and that person had gone to the Hoffman process. And um, it was only because of her that I would have even thought about going to the Hoffman process because, you know, there are so many uh, kind of self-improvement programs, retreats out there. And I wasn't sure how to sift through them, but because I had trust in her and because I feel like things happen at the right place at the right time. When she told me about it, I researched it like 
maybe a hot second. <laughs> and then I went to um, sign up and uh, I got in. So that was the beginning of my journey. And I know for the people who don't know, the Hoffman process um, uses various techniques from Eastern mysticism to deep meditation, gestalt, group therapy, visualization, and allegedly condenses a lifetime of analysis into an eight-day process. And it has become, for many people, a life-changing experience that they say surgically removes their negative habits. Well, you know, I don't know about surgically removed. <laughs> I was like, sign me up for that. <laughs> I know, I that, it's, that might be a little bit of aggressive. I, I, I don't know how that information uh, or that particular verbiage got into play. But I will say that what the Hoffman process does, and I'll, I'll just be very candid and say that I haven't done, you know, all of the different programs out there. Um, I'm sure there's many. Uh, I just happen to fall upon the Hoffman process in a way that uh, made sense for me. But you, you, you know, you nailed it. They do uh, visualizations. They, we do journaling. We do exercises. And it is a, um, seven, uh, seven days where you give up your phone. You give up your connection to the outside world. You don't talk about what you do, uh, as a profession. You know, actually they say that you, they don't want you to tell anybody that. And, um, it's a very kind of, and you're eating the foods that they recommend. They're, you're, um, doing everything that, they um, tell you to do it. It sounds a little like, you know, very um, controlled, but because you are in this environment where you're trying to make change, it's really important to take all of those external influences out. And um, so that's what I feel that it, that's why it's good. It's because it's able to kind of take you out of your daily routine, put you in a, in a place where you just focus on yourself. They give you a ton of exercises, self-reflection time, and even, you know, like group discussions and visualizations. And that's what makes the, uh, makes the difference. It's they're creating new neural pathways. Instead of going one direction, what, which you have been programmed to do all this time, uh, now you're being given direction to go into, you know, in terms of the visualization, how your spirit-led energy will take you into a different direction. So interesting. So you went and did you stay there for the seven days or you go home or is it like no, no, no. You stay, you stay on campus um for seven days. And um, you know, it, the schedule is uh, dictated already. And um that's that's what you yeah, that's what what it is. But I think that's le that's the reason for a success in many ways, because um I just think that if you are distracted with the outside world, um, then how can you know things how can you change really, you know, if you're thinking mm -hmm. about the grocery and the bills and the kids and everything. So this is a chance for you to really leave your um, everyday behind and focus on, on this time. And, and that's why they say it's 10 years of therapy condensed into one week. So was that the case for you? That uh, in terms of the condens condensed piece? All right. Or? Well, just in terms of, do you feel like you got 10 years of therapy in a week when you were done? Um, You know, I know that people go, so I had, I had not done, um, you know, long stretches of therapy in my lifetime, but I will say that the amount of change and exercises and, um, tools that I was given after the fact, uh, definitely has maintained me for years and years afterwards. So I, I don't know if it's 10 years, you know, I've never like timed it. I need to commit myself to that particular number, but I do say, I do think that because it was condensed, there's a bunch of exercises and tools that you're given after 
then yeah, I, I really do think that it's a very life-changing event. But you know, to be honest, I had to continue to do various exercises and I do my um, gratitude journal. That's every day. This is ongoing for now, what is it, like five, five years. I, I continue to do the exercises as well as incorporate other things that I've learned along the way in my healing journey to so that I can have a highest vibration self and do the work that I do. So yeah. it's not just the seven days. It's like continuous. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, with anything, you know, we can create change, but maintaining that change comes from those daily habits. And and I agree with you. I love the gratitude journaling. Um, that's something I've actually just started doing. And I read this book recently called The Magic. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's um, it's like by the people that wrote The Secret. Um, so it's one of the books in the kind of like series of those type of books about the law of attraction and stuff. But the the magic is all about, you know, creating a gratitude practice. And it's like a 28 day. So I got it. I got all my friends to get it and read it. And it's been pretty powerful to, to notice the changes that come about when you can implement that daily. So that's really cool that you do that. Yeah, my commitment to my, um, let's just say spiritual and mentals and you know and of course that leads into physical too and emotional um is really hardcore like i've developed this practice on an ideal day taylor i'm waking up at 5 4 30 listening to my affirmations um doing silent meditation and then praying to god and then you know like do some physical yoga kind of stretching exercises to wake up my body and sometimes i do um a, a, you know, negative wash, kind of like a dance, so to speak, to mm -hmm. get all of those uh, vibes out and just start the day in a, in a positive place. And uh, gratitude is every day. I have to do gratitude and appreciation. I make my kids do gratitude and appreciation in the car. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a way so of life. For them. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> Oh, I'm what? with you on that. I mean, my daily, I, and it's funny because when we'll talk about Rhythmia here in a minute, but when I um, first went to Rhythmia and I came home and I was really diligent and I still am, I'm like you. I mean, I'm hardcore with my practices and my daily practices. But when I first came back from Rhythmia and I was really hardcore with like all the stuff that I was doing, I was like, I have to, I can't work full time because my, <laughs> my, yeah, my spiritual practices take hours. <laughs> I hear you. I really, and to do everything with consciousness and you know yes. gratitude it is very uh difficult so that's why i had to start getting up really early to do this and sometimes i cut it short it's not perfect right so um sometimes i you know i wake up a little later than i want to then i get into the car i do my gratitude out loud in the car and then during when i have a break then i'll do a meditation so sometimes yes uh, those things get broken up into different parts of my day but if I don't hit it at a certain time, especially, you know, just sitting and being with God or spirit, I, I, I tend to get caught up in the day to day more. Yes, for sure. I can agree with that. Um, I, I think it's super important to have that time, whether it's, you know, ideally prayer and meditation and journaling, <laughs> but then, you know what I'm saying? Then the next thing you know, it's like two hours every morning and I'm, you know, but I agree it, it keeps me um, a lot more centered and more able to kind of just go with the flow when things come at me during the day than on days that I maybe skip it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I see a huge difference and my kids see a difference too. So that's why it's the, the motivation to keep on doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. So you did the Hoffman process and then tell me what came after that. It kind of catapulted you farther on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, 
well, after the Hoffman process, shortly after we went into pandemic. And so I continued with the Hoffman exercises. I did actually, uh, you know, uh, like they have other programs like a Q2, which is this one was online because if it was, uh, you know, during pandemic time and I did some other like small group kind of things with Hoffman, but I felt again, like, you know, there was more, there was more that I needed to do. And sometimes I just feel guided to find certain things that I feel will jolt me to that next layer of consciousness. And, you know, part of it is just, I'm just navigating this through my, my emotional health. Right. And it's not like I have a you know plan of how, how evolved I want to be. I just feel like something isn't right. I feel like I need more. And then that's when I start seeking the tools and, you know, it, it just opens up. And so the rhythmia came into my consciousness, so to speak, because a friend had gone to it and spoke to us about how great it was, his experience, and that got me intrigued. So I signed up actually a year uh, or more before, but um, I was too chicken to go during that pandemic time. So I kind of waited till we were still in pandemic time, but it was less, um, you know, um, of an issue. And certainly uh, Costa Rica had opened up and with me, I was open for business. So that's how it came to be that I went at that time that you, you and I went and it was, you know, perfectly aligned. Yep. As it always is. Yep, exactly. And so, so when during that, so you did Hoffman, you did Rhythmia, and then where along in there, what came next? Was it starting the um, mediation the, business or was it your well, divorce? Right. Yeah. So, oh, okay. So I should, for, in terms of the divorce, the divorce happened uh, soon after uh, I got back from Hoffman because I kind of had an idea that this was not the life that I wanted to live. And actually I I tried to go to, you know, therapy and do all of that traditional uh, route of trying to resurrect the marriage. But at the time, my ex-husband was not um, in a place, nor is he now, I use the words at the time, but he wasn't in a place where he wanted to work on the marriage. Mm -hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, part of it was he was fine where he was. He didn't feel the need to involve others, whatever the, the, his decision was, I felt very alone and trapped and I didn't know, uh, you know, how to get out of it except for the path of divorce. Um, and you know, it's, it's funny because I think sometimes the hardest times are meant to push us into one direction or you can make the you know choice to go into another direction, but I chose to leave the marriage and continue on my path of healing because I didn't want a model of love for my children where the parents, uh, the adults in the home were arguing or, um, you know, having this, this kind of conflict. I wanted to be a harmonious home, uh, you know, growth minded home centered around love centered around, um, happiness. And I wanted that desperately for my children. And, um, I felt that in order to have us be apart, but be great parents, was maybe better than being together and being very, uh, you know, have animosity and conflict all the time in front of the kids. So I chose a path. A lot of people say to me, oh, I'm so sad that you guys are divorced. But I'm like, listen, for us, we are great co-parents. We can sit down together at a table. Like we did this like last week. He, We both showed up to the same event. We sat at the same table. There was no animosity. There's no like glare, back talk. And we are great parents for our children. I think at the end of the day, the responsibility is to the human beings that we bring into this world versus, um, you know, anything that I might have against him or vice versa. And at this point, you know, in my five years later, everything is is gone. I've, I've forgiven him and 
I, I'm hoping he uh, has forgiven me. He actually did Huffman as well. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And, but now if the focus is for the kids and our second chapters. That's so cool. And I definitely want to talk more about that and kind of how you got to that place too, um, later on in this conversation. But, you know, it's interesting because when you're talking about like that, you know, do it for your kids and putting your kids first, it, it really segues into this mediator role and profession that you created because, you know, you describe it as like, heart-focused advocating for for kids first. So I'm sure there are themes, you know, from your own divorce and like, you know, really wanting to do what's best for your kids, despite what I'm sure were hard emotional times, you know, a divorce is, is, is difficult and it can be heartbreaking. And, you know, even in the best of, of circumstances, it's complicated. And so um, keeping, you know, that heart-focused for your kids, um, approach. And then as that applies to your, your role as a mediator, I think that's very cool. I mean, it shows how like your life experience has led itself to, to what you do for a living too. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because how that unfolded. So I first started off, um, you know, in mediation many years ago, even before I had kids, but when I did have kids, I had to drop it because it was such a very, um, you know, a time consuming and commitment driven um, work. So, you know, I chose to focus on the kids, but as I, you know, ended the divorce and, you know, thankfully everything, you know, like I said, was in line and we were able to maintain a good relationship. And so I felt like, wow, the, you know, God and the universe has really looked out for me. I want to pay this forward for people that don't necessarily have the, um, the team in place, you know, I had a good support system, I had a good financial system in place so that I knew the direction of how, where to head and how to head there, um, you know, with logistical things as well as spiritual things and emotional support. So I felt very blessed, as blessed as somebody can be going through divorce, which is, you know, as we have heard, probably like the highest, second highest stressful uh, event in your life, a second from uh, your child passing. So it's very stressful. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wanted to pay it forward. I started volunteering at the Mediation Center of the Pacific. And a lot of my cases were separation, divorce, all of that. And, you know, while people say, wow, that's a really uh, interesting place to put yourself in such a high conflict situation. But I really had the 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 feeling that I was helping not just those two conflicting parties in the room, but also helping their kids that were not in the room and other people affected by their divorce, whether it's their parents or their you know siblings, whatever the case, community. I felt like I was helping a ripple of people, and that just um, actually gave me great joy. Even when we didn't reach an agreement, it gave me great joy to be a part of that process because part of it is just getting it out, you know, getting out all that stuff. And at some point when you are talking about it, whether it's to mediators or somebody else, you feel a sense of relief. And I think that, um, you know, that, that portion of it, I knew that I was helping. And um, when we reach an agreement and we can talk about how you're going to share schedules with about your kids, that just makes me feel so grateful. Cause I know that for mom, you know, in this case, like mom and dad to be uh, even if they're not together, they can have cordial relationship and they can show that in front of their kids. I think it's it's boundless amount of 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 a positivity for them 
and uh, goodness for their the rest of their lives. So I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Yeah. And I think the how you've really based your your role and your profession in some spiritual concepts makes it like to me, I think it doesn't feel like the kind of cold, like court ordered mediation that I imagine in a more legal focused type setting. Um, right. But could you like, can we back up for a minute? And would you explain like what mediation is? Sure. That, that's a great question. A lot of people Okay, get this. A lot of people get confused because when they see the word mediation, they think meditation. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's completely different. So mediation, <laughs> mediation is when two people or more, you know, two parties, let's say, are in a complex situation. They're at a decision point where they can't find a uh, common ground. And it can be in a situation such as divorce or separation or asset division, uh, child sharing. It could be landlord tenant. It could be, um, you know, any, any, any time when there is a potential conflict. And so you go to this person who's a mediator that is a third party, neutral party that has no um, you know, stake in, in the game, so to speak. And we are, we are just there, or my role is just to facilitate the discussion because there's so much baggage sometimes that people can't get over the baggage, you know, the history, and they can't come to an agreement. Whereas bringing a new set of eyes that's neutral and has some understanding of the process of mediation, that really helps. So the way a mediation works is, you know, two parties usually are in the same room if they can be. I'm a third party. And if I have a co-mediator, there's another person there. And we just, you know, lay out the expectations. Everything is confidential in that setting. And it's about why, why are we here today and what do we want to accomplish? And we kind of just keep everything neutral. Sometimes we break up the two parties in different rooms and go back and forth. We hear each other's, their sides. And then um, if we start feeling like there's time for common ground or there is common ground, we start sharing where that will be and slowly building up. And it just, maybe it's not one session, maybe it's several sessions. We still slowly start building a path of agreement. And towards the end of the mediation, whether it's, you know, in the first three hours or the, you know, fourth or fifth time that they come back, um, what happens is we build an agreement based upon what uh, what progress they're made. And so every time we kind of amend the document until they're comfortable with what they have, and then that's what they can take to their attorney to draft it up, or they just decide that it's a working document. So um, it's pretty cool because a lot of these mediations that I do are, you know, far less than a, a, what an attorney will charge to be in that kind of situation. Um, but you will need an attorney if you're going through, you know, some legal proceeding because they have to draft up the agreement and get it court signed and all that kind of stuff. Got it. But this is an option for some people who maybe are trying to avoid having to do it through the court, right? Exactly. It's, it's definitely, so the court is, you know, going in front of the judge, he just hears both sides, what they have to say. And it's a lot of back and forth, um, in court. So it, you know, takes up money and time, but sometimes the court, the courts will say, well, did you go to mediation? That's the first question that they ask. Did you go to mediation? If they haven't, they actually recommend that you do, whether it's the private mediator like myself or in a, you know, there's other facilities that offer mediation as well. And so that's usually the first step. But then if you can't, because that mediation is the only place where you and the other party can decide what is right for you. Once you go in front of a judge, he's just going to look at the law and, you know, the, the calculations involved in every single uh, piece, whether it's a financial piece or otherwise. And 
it's just that. So that is going to be cookie cutter for everybody, right? It's not going to be relevant for your specific situation, uh, despite the income level, despite the education, despite you know other nuances, health situations that may be facing you or your children if they're involved. So it's a chance to really take control and get to a point where the agreement works for you as well as the other party. And you can be creative. And that's where I think I really find that my, you know, social, uh, like heart forward self and my business health self, they can intertwine for the sake of the clients. Yes. And you're Gemini rising for sure. That's So you also incorporate some Hawaiian spiritual concepts to your practice using the acronym MAP. Talk yeah. to me about that. Right. So I've been in Hawaii for 20 years. I, I grew up on the East Coast and as an Asian American um, over there. And so my mom was, uh, most of my parents are from Burma. And um, I always grew up with spiritual um, background. My dad's Christian and would go to church and my mom was Buddhist. So she would teach me how to meditate. So spirituality has always been in my life. But um, moving to Hawaii, which is a very deeply connected spiritual place um, in all the islands, but um, the Hawaiian culture is obviously prevalent here. So be, having been here for 20 years, I'm a Kama Aina. In fact, that's my street name. Uh, and that means Your street name? <laughs> yeah, it's my street name. And it also means of the people, Kama Aina. Um, that's beautiful. And, yeah. So I've come to embody that. And plus my children obviously were born here. And so I wanted to incorporate the indigenous values that I've learned here and been a part of for so many years now into my business because it's a deep connection and respect for the culture. And um, so NAP, as you, you know, that's our, my, um, the, the three values, the Hawaiian values that I've incorporated. Um, so M is Malama. And Malama just means to take care. So they, a lot of times you might say uh, Alama Pono uh, or Alama, uh, Malama Aina. And Malama, that means just to take care of the land. Um, and so you'll hear that a lot in Hawaii. But Malama just by itself means just to take care. And so I feel like taking care of each other is part of this mediation process. Whether you believe that the other person is, you know, good or bad or neutral or whatever the situation is, we're in this community together. And so we have to take care of each other. So that's Malama. A is Aloha. Everybody kind of knows what that means. But for those that don't, it's just, you know, goodness. It's usually said in a greeting form. Um, it just, it's just of uh, compassion and love. So it's Aloha. And so that's the A. And P is Pono. And Pono is doing what's right, doing what's the, you know, what is the best thing. And my interpretation on Pono is what I always say when I go into a mediation to myself, which is, please let me serve the highest good for all parties concerned. And that's just something I kind of connect with. And so the um, Pono part is, you know, sometimes we don't know what is the best thing for everybody or people have different ideas of what that is going into a mediation or any situation. But I know that the universe and God has a plan for everything. And so I just want to be part of that for the uh, cultivation of the highest good in, in those conflict settings, because it can be very stressful. And sometimes, you know, there's TROs and stuff at place, so it can get pretty um, angry really fast. And so when I have those three values in my mind and my spirit, as I go into these situations, I, it's not about me. I've taken my ego out of it and just serving the people. 
That's so beautiful. I I love that explanation and I love that acronym. And it's evident that you really do embody, you know, those beautiful principles into what you're doing. And you've said that you built this business also on, on, you know, the concept of social consciousness. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, that's a great way. Um, Social capitalism is how I really like to phrase it. But, you know, when I when I do real estate, which is, you know, part of my kind of um, portfolio of services, it's about, it's more of a business transaction. Now, I've come to believe through evolving from that is that you can show up with your heart forward in anything that you do. I really believe that. And it's just about being present and being aware and being mindful. Um, So, you know, that is one thing. But usually, real estate is very highly competitive, especially in Hawaii and the luxury market. And it's not necessarily always everybody's trying to serve the highest good. You know, that's not the intention that we're going into at. But um, it's more of like, I'm advocating for my client. How can we work together? Right? That's the approach. Uh, But there are times when it gets very competitive and very um, kind of, you know, this material world that we live in. So I wanted to create something that was pure in that sense, which is people in conflict, people that need help. And how can I go in with my heart forward, helping people, whether they have, uh, you know, high economic wealth or not, or middle or whatever, whatever the situation is, my, um, what I bring to the table is always the same in, in that I want to be of help and service to everybody. And so the mediation is just something to help the world, because I really feel that by helping these two people in conflict, the ripple effect in the community is just abounds. And, you know, these people will move away, all this kind of stuff. There will be less road rage. And the people that the kids that are in that these families, I, I do feel, will grow up in healthier environments. And then, therefore, they'll affect our kids. That, And you never know how this world is so intersecting in so many different ways and online presence and everything that I just I want to add to that. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I'm able to do it all the time, every time, but that is my intention going into every uh, situation. And even, you know, now I think when I interview people or when I meet people casually in the social environment, I think to myself, this person is in front of me for a reason. What is it that I'm supposed to share with them? Or what is it that I'm supposed to learn from them aside from this business transaction or aside from this, you know, uh, exchange of of money and coffee or whatever the, whatever the situation is, how can I be of service and what do I need to hear to, to do better? Right. And like you said, it's such, I had never really thought about this before, but it, it goes beyond just the two parties and then maybe the children. It's like, these are, you know, conflict affects siblings and parents and, you know, um, co-workers and friends and neighbors, and it trickles out. And so there's more people, um, more lives at stake than just the two parties that are, you know, in conflict. And so that's a really interesting perspective is keeping that in mind, you know, that these two people or two parties have families and friends and, you know, um, other places of business and and people are are deeply affected by conflict. Right. You know, I um this is an interesting way to look at it, but I have a VA now a virtual assistant that's in the Philippines. We talk every single day and I know he has a wife, I know he has a kid, I know he has aunties, uncles. So even so I spend about 2 hours and then you know we with him in terms of a morning meeting and an evening meeting. And before, you know, all of this awakening or spiritual practice, I was very much business, like, okay, these are the tasks, 
what are you going to do about them? Here's the timeline kind of a thing, right? Very um, type A personality, especially raised in New York City. That's how um, I've come to embrace business. Now, I would say after all of this um, self-healing and work, I approach it totally differently. Yes, we still discuss business, but I start off with what what is our intention for today? And mine is to always support him, you know, and whatever information that he needs and whatever, um, you know, goals that we need to set together as a team, but also to serve the highest good in the interactions that we have with people outside of this, you know, virtual relationship. But, and then end, I always end the day with uh, appreciation and gratitude, three things that we appreciate, three things that we're grateful for. And I will say, he's told me, and you know, I just started working with this guy. He told me in the five years that he's worked with uh, other bosses in this administrative capacity, and these people have been from Australia, all over the world, because it's all virtual, right? He says, never has he ever had this kind of relationship where not only was the person aligned with business goals, but also, um, you know, spiritual and emotional uh, health. It's it's the first time, and he is he just feels so grateful. Um, so that we're that we're on a team together, and even though the reason why I bring that up is because our world is getting smaller and smaller, people are having connections, uh, you know, regular connections with people in different countries, and these people have families, and everybody's working from home. So the vibration of the, you know the exchange that we have with various people in our lives, it's it's um, it's not just this you know in our little community in Hawaii, um, but it's it's global and you know because if i'm in a bad mood if i i'm approaching it from a very uh you know business type a personality um which is fine because you'll achieve your goals but there's this other aspect of being a human that i feel we need to incorporate and that's what i do in my business um the human aspect not to just say like you know i'm going to take every burden of your personal life on when we're trying to achieve our business goals because we have to do that too but to have an understanding and awareness that this person is not just here to do my task. He has a child, he has a family, he has, you know, things that he has to do and try to look at um, any, any relationship as a whole relationship versus just, oh, this is just my business partner, or this is just my, you know, marriage partner person or whatever the, whatever the, you know, the relationship is, is to keep an idea of the whole being um, versus just one aspect of how they are showing up in your life at that time. That's beautiful. And I'm sure it makes for, you know, an, in a more connection and more like with your employee, it's, it's also, it's a heart centered connection too. And it's not just business. It's like you, um, care about, you know, his well being and his family and his day-to-day stuff. And like, you know, I think people like to be felt that those things matter, you know, to other people, especially at work. I mean, that that someone sees value in the fact that their family time is important or that what's going on at home, you know, all those things. That's that's really cool that you do that. I'd, yeah. I'd love for you to, you know, <clears throat> on that same note, like when you're talking about parties that are in really deep conflict and there's like no compromise happening, what practical principles are you bringing to the table literally um when you when you have that situation H- how do you approach that yeah so that's a great question i think that's more skill set based and um so what 
what I try to do is, uh, you know, let's say we go back and forth and one of the parties, or it could be both of the parties, um, just digging in their heels and not really able to, to have movement. And so, you know, what, what's great about being hard focused is that you can just come from a realistic point of view and we call it a reality check. And we say like, listen, this is mediation. This is a place where we are compromising and we are trying to get to an agreement in all of these areas, whether it's, you know, the asset division or the the house or the time, so, something along these lines, where is, can we, where is their movement? Where do you, what is your priority? You know, and do you want to be in this situation for years? There are divorces that go on for years because parties can't agree. And while they may end up with financially more than they once, uh, you know, thought they could uh, at the beginning, possibly of that uh, case, the issue though is the time and energy that they will have to spend in conflict. And while you can compartmentalize it, it's always there. And if you if you don't realize that there's, there's, you know, the subconscious or there's a con- part of you that is always thinking about this problem, so to speak. And if you can let go of that, think of how many years of joy and financial savings you possibly can make because of the attorneys involved uh, if you just gave up a little bit more to get that freedom. So what we do, you know, just to summarize it, is we do a reality check. Where is it that you really want to be? We bring in, like, what is your future self? You know, you in five years, how do you want to feel uh, about this? Do you want to start on your, with your new life? Do you, you know, and so we kind of have them, or I tr- I have them visualize where they will want to be in a year from now, three years from now, and how this lingering, um, you know, conflict can affect that outlook. So part of it is the reality check, being in front of a judge, this is going to be what you get, you know, no um, specific uh, kind of requirements tailoring to your specific position. And this is your chance to take control of that. The second is visualizing where they want to be and how this impacts them one way or another. And then, you know, what is best if there are kids involved, what is best for the sake of the kids? And usually one of those kind of uh, jars them into a place of then trying to uh, get to a point of agreement it speaks to a lot of people when you talk about the vision the kids will have, but you'll be surprised. There are still some people that really hold a lot of anger and you just want to like, you know, hold on to that. But sometimes that's when we work on the other party and do the same type of thing. But if they see that other party is giving, then they start giving. So it's, it's interesting to see what works and what doesn't with, you know, various cases, but um, those are tend to be the approach. Of course, the usual listening, recapping here, letting them hear what they're saying um, those are all the toolkits, you know, part of the toolkit that I use to get reach an agreement. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, the, the different types of people that come to you for help, you know, I'm thinking mostly like custody and divorce stuff. Um, you know, but obviously you're also divorced yourself and share custody with your ex-husband. And, um, I'd love for you to talk about, your own experiences with navigating co-parenting and like what pillars are important to you, because I'm sure that that bleeds over also into like the work that you're doing when you have cases that are, you know, so, so like what works, what doesn't for you. Right. Um, You know, I think when you decide to start this process of divorce, I think part of it is for me at the time I needed to assemble a team. And this is where I felt like I was very fortunate. I had a, 
you know, a team for, for a banker, a financial person, you know, a CPA. And of course, you know, my coach or therapist uh, is important. Somebody with resources for mental health. And, and at that time I had gone to Hoffman. And so I felt like my, my list of resources was, was a lot. And then, so I, so going into that, I knew exactly what I needed to have, um, what I could, what I needed to take care of the kids and myself. And I was able to negotiate from a place of knowledge. And then the financial piece after that's kicked in, you know, and there's agreement there, then everything else kind of gels into place. And, um, so I was fortunate that, we were able to reach agreement on the financial piece and the child sharing piece. And we didn't need a lot of attorney interaction, but there was definitely some back and forth. And there were times where it could have gotten really ugly, but I mentally checked myself and said, he will be with me for another 10, 15 years, and maybe even longer because these kids are going to be, you know, between us. And I don't want to have this animosity affecting them. So I really focused on that as my anchor in order to move forward. Um, so that knowing what you mean financially, coming from a place of knowledge, and then keeping in mind the goal is to have healthy, happy children that you can still look in the eyes of your ex-husband or ex-partner, and because they're going to see it, that was what it, what got me to that safe um, safer place. And that's how I was able to negotiate um, from a place of kindness, because if you feel you're lacking in something, it's going to be really hard. And then that's going to take some self-work as well. But um, from there, I was able to, you know, use all the different tools that I, I learned and get on a path of forgiveness for him and for myself. And as I started shedding those layers of, of hate or uh, animosity or mistrust, it was after that, I saw him for who he was. And I, um, started the journey to love and appreciate what he brings to my life because he's still a responsible dad that shows up at the end of the day for his two kids. And that's what I care about the most. So um, that was kind of like my journey. The forgiveness thing is really big though. Uh, and that tends to happen after the, the actual divorce because um, there's still feelings, right? But now I can see him for who he is and appreciate everything that he brings to the table. And it wasn't easy to get to this point and, you know, still yet, I still have to write some positive affirmations about him once in a while to get me centered on that higher uh, appreciation and frequency level so that I can approach him and therefore my kids with love and authenticity. So I hope I answered your question. Yes, one. no, you absolutely did. And I, I agree with you about the forgiveness piece. I think that's huge. And I, if you would touch on a little more about, you know, what that looked like for you and what tools you relied on to help you through that, because that is a big piece of the puzzle for any type of conflict that we have going on in our lives and like carrying the burden of anger and resentment, especially after a divorce, but in any type of, um, you know, broken relationship that is terrible. And forgiveness is a, is the hard piece, like maybe the hardest piece. Um, yeah. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about on what helped you forgive. Sure. Um, well, you know, forgiveness and gratitude kind of go hand in hand. So, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you have to have a gratitude uh, practice. But the, uh, the forgiveness part is twofold. It's forgiving them, right? The other party that you feel has wronged you, but forgiving yourself. It's those two things. And they're similar in terms of practices, but 
very distinguishable. So for me, a lot of it was journaling, just uh, you know, writing letters to him was also a part of it, and not sending it to him, but burning them up. All of the feelings of hate and you know, um, kind of victimized and this and that and all that kind of stuff, whatever that I felt, I put it on paper and then I burned it. And I, you know, kind of did a, my own little ritual that I came up to get rid of all of that negative energy. And so that was part like the physical writing of it. And then also the things of, um, for myself, I would do these, uh, self-compassion walks for all the things that were associated, whether it was in that marriage or outside of that marriage, whatever it is, all the things that you feel that you've d- done and and just walking with it, using an index card and saying, I forgive myself for whatever that item is on the index card. And then again, tearing that up. I'm a, I believe that when you tear things up that you don't like or you, you're, you're um, trying to get over, there's that tactile... Um, piece of it that really is rewarding when you tear it up and just letting it go, whether it's burning it or putting in the trash or whatever, whatever it is that or pouring water on it to destroy that um, negative energy, so to speak. So that's, you know, a very uh, specific exercise that I would do um, on the letter writing as well as for my self self-compassion walk. So those two things, and some of that is born from Hoffman stuff. Um, and some of it is my own creation. But I then, love all of those, by the way. I'm very, also, it's very in tune with your Virgo moon also, like the <laughs> rituals of your, you know, emotional processes. <laughs> I love yeah. it. The self-compassion walk also sounds amazing. And I agree with you about like the ripping up. I mean, there has to be that um, kind of like action with it. Um, you know, the, the energy put forth that you're you're sort of like destroying and, and, and breaking apart the energy that's held in, in those words. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually really enjoyed that part. Um, and then the the thing, so I was at a good place, but there was still something there. And actually, the final pieces were not anything to do with, you know, him or anything else. It was all about myself. That's where the 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 last, so to speak. Not you know, I'm still working. I'm not a you know there yet, but I'm still working. Um, and the last piece that was a big rock for me was. Um, this uh, self-compassion, putting myself in those situations where I should have maybe not taken, not put myself there, thinking that I could handle it when maybe I couldn't have handled it, you know? So that was all the self-compassion that came from the, there's a prayer called Ho'oponopono that Mm -hmm. is, yeah, if you're familiar with it, that's a Hawaiian prayer. And uh, just to sit with that and say those words, it was powerful. At first I was like, is this going to do it? You know, but, <laughs> but after, after having do, done it for weeks, you know, this, these are all practices. It's not just one time and done. It's, you know, a few minutes every, and you're on this evolution and this journey. And at that time, that was what helped me to release all of the tension for myself. So that really helped too. Have you ever read the book, Radical Forgiveness? You know, I have not. I, I apologize. I haven't. Well, I it's um it's amazing. Um it, there's a, a a book and then you can also there's like um coaches that you can you can read the book and then you can meet with a coach and do it's just a one-time processing session. Um but <clears throat> I just read it and I actually think maybe later on in the season I might do a whole episode around it because it's just the most fascinating concept and a lot of what you're saying um resonates with with what I'm reading in the book and I and I've been really kind of like 
um, interested in all the different ways as a society we approach forgiveness. And I think a lot of it is um, not not really the right way. <laughs> I think a lot of it is like um, what's important in terms of our healing or like getting through, you know, like in these situations where you're in conflict is like <clears throat> allowing yourself a, a period of time to to feel how you feel and not um, rush or blame yourself for how you feel. Do you know what I mean? So like that yeah, self-compassion too, is it's, it's a critical piece of that as well. Um, very cool. And I think this is a good point too, to ask you like, well, let's talk plant medicine now, because obviously you, we met at, at Rhythmia. So I'd love to hear how that, how that weaved in like into your, you know, story here and how, it changed you. How are you different after ayahuasca? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think that the Rhythmia experience opened me up to a whole different world of of of, of um, processing, healing that I would have probably never um, engaged with because it just doesn't enter my, um, I guess, sphere. But it gave me an appreciation for the indigenous cultures. And also just the tradition of how, um, you know, there's this whole thing of, of being in different cultures, especially in the indigenous cultures of the world. And there's a lot of respect that I gained for that um, because of, you know, ayahuasca as well as the ceremonies and how they're done. I, I think that ayahuasca for me was a step where it was more spiritual because I tend to come from a very, you know, kind of conservative background and family uh, environment, it really opened my eyes up to the possibilities of, of what the indigenous cultures can do for Western medicine. And also that, you know, we're not just of this time, we're not just like, you know, however old we are, the, the connection that we have goes back centuries and centuries. And so to draw on the legacy of our ancestors in order to be healed, I think that's an important um, connection because although we exist as, you know, species and as Taylor, there's a whole gener generations and legacy of people that have impacted us into our being today. And I think with indigenous cultures and the medicines and the practices of healing that they have and rituals that they have is allowing us to access all of those, um, practices and that our ancestors went through. And so it kind of ties in our soul being with our physical being in existence right now. So that that's what it kind of gave me an appreciation, not kind of, it gave, gave me an appreciation for, but also um, I think for me, it was like a spiritual um, jumpstart, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I knew my spirit was there, but there was a lot of intellectualizing on my spirit. I don't know if that makes sense, but mm -hmm. the, you know, the intellect played a lot. It's your Virgo moon. <laughs> yeah, it must be because that's how I processed it. But until my heart opened and until my soul opened, I was not really a, an incorporated being. I was more intellect driven, which is what our society, you know, prides, um, gives us credit for. But in order to be, uh, in presence and fully conscious, I had to kind of jolt the spirits, um, the spirit of myself into being. And so that was what ayahuasca did for me. It opened up another path of understanding that I could not explain in words or have the scientific explanation for. And that's where, you know, I think it just is a, is another path that people start awakening because it's a spiritual journey versus an intellectual journey. 
Um, but I'm glad that I have everything now in my toolkit, so to speak, because I have the Hoffman, I have the Rhythmia and the understanding of, of all of that. Um, and, you know, meeting various people like you in appreciation of that, that's, that's really unlocked a whole world for me. It really has for me too. It's been amazing. The connections and the friendships and the relationships that I've made. I mean, truly amazing. Um, the people that are in my life that only happen because of Rhythmia. Do you, would you go back again? I would, um, you know, I, I think Rhythmia is a fantastic place and I love that it's safe because there's doctors there and has this spa like environment because of the, you know, mud, mud baths and stuff like that. But I'm also hunger for something less, uh, maybe, um, safe, <laughs> I guess, I, you know, the traditional way of going with the shaman and the, uh, maybe the jungles of Peru. I'm not sure if I would do that, to be honest, but, um, there, that is a curiosity that I have. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I have that as well, like going to the Amazon, you know, and maybe drinking medicine where it grows, like in its natural habitat there. That's something I've always, I've always thought about. Um, well, I'm sure at some point will happen for me. What did you think of Taita? Uh, I, I loved him. I actually, you know, I've never experienced a shaman. I thought he was incredibly connected, grounded, gifted in what he does. Um, and, you know, the whole team that he has assembled and, you know, we have those um, kind of uh, breakout groups at the end of our ceremonies, you know, the next day and the next morning. And I found that his knowledge and the way that he was able to articulate what, although it be in Spanish, um, I thought it was really um, very profound and it made me feel safe because he was able to verbally articulate kind of like the soul journey, which is inexplicable in many ways, but um, he was able to have it make sense and tie in the magic of medicine, um, but with it, with, um, with the intellectual foundation that, uh, that resonated with me. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Like he makes it practical, you know, but he's talking about the spirit world at the yeah. same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a gift. <laughs> it is a gift. You know, he's a Virgo, Taita is. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I would love for you to share with people how they could work with you. Do you do like Zoom mediation or does it have to be done in person? And can people like tell, like, what, what do you offer in it's yeah, so I know I have a whole whole. It's it's really what the people want and what the case calls for. So the first thing I do is have an intake discussion, and you know it's just a pre uh, discussion to make sure that we're a right fit. So that's number one, and kind of understand what they're going through, what they want to achieve. Then it's either via Zoom or you know I can go there wherever they are, all across the you know U.S. or other places because we're just talking. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a judge. So I'm just helping these people with the other party that's in conflict come to a resolution and it's their agreement. After that, if they want to consult with their attorney or during it, they can consult with their attorneys, but this is the agreement that they come to. So I facilitate that discussion in a very uh, process oriented way. So that can be via Zoom. I can put them in Zoom breakouts. I can go to where the, wherever they are, which obviously that has to um, be pre-determined uh, and then they can come to Hawaii now, Hawaii has many islands, and Kauai is probably one of my um, 
most connected islands. I feel like when I'm there, I just feel very in with the earth. Um, and so that's a place that I love to have retreats. And so the retreat is more than obviously three or four hours. It's a couple, like three days. And in those retreats, I do the mediation, but we break it up so that there is time for journaling. There's time for healing. There's time for, you know, movement and whatever they feel they want to incorporate. We do, um, in that time frame of three days. So that's also a possibility. And, you know, we're talking about divorce and separation, but I also do premarital prenups, you know? And, um, so that's when it really makes sense if people want to get away from their everyday to come to an island and you're in this beautiful environment, this natural environment. We talk about our Hawaiian values. We talk about all the things that will set these people up for the right path as they go into marriage. So that's um, another possibility as well. And I think that's amazing. And what a beautiful setting. Like if you can't get over your shit in Kauai, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I love see fun. how that really works to your advantage because people are so blissed out and chill. They're like, you know what? It's fine. Like, let's, that's fine. You can have that. And I'll do, let's just, you know, because <laughs> it's so well, beautiful there. That, that's what I would hope, right? That's, that's the, that's what I hope that uh, people get inspired by is the natural beauty. And the natural beauty, honestly, to me is is the connection with the earth and that's the connection with the universe and God, right? When you, when I am in nature, I feel great because I'm in synergy mode. Um, And that's, and there's not, not a place like Hawaii or even all of Hawaii. I mean, all of the state, there's, um, you know, places that are like that. So we're, we're fortunate to live here. You are very fortunate to live there. And I think it's awesome that you get to to bring people there to that beautiful land to connect with nature when they're doing, you know, deep healing, hard work. So I really want to thank you for your vulnerability and sharing from your heart. And I've said before on the podcast, each guest that I have the privilege to interview has their own medicine, you know, their own gift to humanity. And when we look at the natal chart, sometimes we can see little indications of it in there, but I've met so many incredible people at Rhythmia, but what I feel is really a testament to that place, to the medicine of ayahuasca, really, is that each of these incredible, excuse me, incredible friends I've made, yourself included, are all on this trajectory of living out their personal dharma, their soul's purpose. And I'm just so honored to walk this path with you, sister. I mean, and, and these these friendships that we've made there, I see people living this way. And that's why I, I've had, I don't have a lost count of how many Rhythmia friends I have come on the podcast because one, they're all fascinating, interesting people with great stories about living their purpose and, and, and finding their own medicine and your story is no exception. So thank you so much for coming here today and, and sharing your story. Well, thank you, Taylor. And thank you for having the platform and the commitment to have your Rhythmia sisters and brothers and other people on it because, you know, the beauty of this kind of podcast is that even though it's just, you know, you and I talking, people are going to hear it and it's going to, again, ripple throughout the whole entire world and the universe. And I'm just grateful that you have a platform built for this. 
Well, me too. I'm grateful to have it. And I'm always grateful um, for everybody that comes on and, and shares from their heart and shares the, their their life story and their path and their purpose and their pain and all of it. So mm-hmm. I'll make sure I link in the show notes for anybody who wants to work with you where they can find you and um, links to all that stuff. So again, thank you so much for coming on today, Cece. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. 